it's weird. You know, yeah. it's like you, you have a house that's listed. I have questions about it or they'll text you, Hey, I'm busy. Just text me here. Yeah. And I'm like, look, you're selling a $700,000 <laughs> house. I have a client that's pretty serious. Right. I just want to have a five minute conversation about, you know, some details about the house. Had no mm-hmm. issue, especially when it came to like uh, effort of labor, like, and yeah. I was willing to or, learn or. something new and go do it. And so yeah. that was where I started, you know, eight bucks an hour and, and did that. And then I eventually worked myself up into, you know, telecom and was able to get hired by, you know, a huge corporation. You are now listening to the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. Well, good morning. Good morning. Another episode of the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. I'm Ashton Hines, your host, one half of the Real Estate Heavyweights podcast. I'm here with my good friend, mentor, real estate guru in the DFW area, doing all sorts of stuff, residential flips, midterm, short-term, commercial. It's Tavis Westbrook. What's going on, Tavis? It's Tavis. Travis without the R. Oh my gosh, he's (laughs) starting early. Well, I don't know. I get tired to just say what's up, what's up. So I, I know, felt like yeah, I had to. Right. I felt like I had to say something different this morning. So yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Give it a little flair. That's okay. We have some loyal listeners. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will appreciate a little bit of a a mix up every once in a while. So <laughs> it's good. You know, this week's been uh, extremely busy, which is great. I mean, you want to be busy in this industry, so. Lots of moving parts, um, you know, and, and we talked a little bit last week just with midterms. And, and one of the biggest things with midterms is you don't know, like, when your next tenant's coming, when you're vacant. So it's always a little right. nerve-wracking, right? Like, you you build your performa. You know that, you know, you should have at least a two-month vacancy kind of built in. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be two months altogether, but yeah. it but it could be right. So like the property I have here that we you know we did this past year that uh, you know we talked about you know just kind of getting it running. I had you know a tenant in there from like September till you know mid November, and then it's been vacant for two months. You know, and so mm-hmm. you know it gets a little nerve wracking. You're kind of like, okay, yeah, when's this next person coming? And then like these yeah. freezes are happening and you know, you kind of get excited and you're kind of like, all right, when's it coming? You know? And then we had like two or three leads come through and just weird stuff happens, right? You like kind of ink it, you set it up, you have the conversation and then all of a sudden they disappear and you're like, where'd they yeah. go? And it's usually because there's like a disconnect between like the placement company and the insured that's panicking, that's in a rush that needs to get mm-hmm. into something. And somebody's not talking or they're waiting on the adjuster and then when they come back to me, they're like, oh, they found another place or, oh, they're on their own or, you know, or mm. you know, something like that happened. So it was frustrating. And then uh, we finally got somebody last week and it took, took a couple of days for approval. But we got it, you know, we got got it locked and loaded and they actually moved in. I don't even know if you and I had that conversation, but they ended up moving in uh, on Saturday. 
So, okay. Yeah. I know you talked about when, you know, we've been kind of looking at stuff with Aaron and I knew you had mentioned that they got in there. I didn't, I didn't realize it because I mean, you were getting nervous enough to where you had said the last time we talked about it, I think you said, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about maybe selling Huntington. I don't know if it's like going to work yeah. out. Yeah. Oh man. You know, you just got <laughs> and, and that's what I mean. It's it, service it, and that's what I mean. It's kind of like, you know, it, it's tough, you know, because you, you kind of like, you know, and you start doing the analysis, you know, on it and you're, you're cashing it and looking back and, you know, just, just trying to really run the analytics on it and go, all right, is this, is this a keeper? Is this one that's going to perform? Because my projections, right. everything points in the right direction, but then you get kind of emotionally tied to it because then you feel like, man, I've got $35,000 worth of furniture in here that mm-hmm. what happens to it? You know, yeah, mm-hmm. I can get a storage. Yeah, I can put it in there. Yeah, I could I could look for the next deal, you know, and like Tabitha was saying, you know, let's put it in there. And then when, when you buy your next one, you already have it. Well, yeah, but when I buy my next one and values keep going up, so then I'm thinking in the back of my mind, well, where's the next one going to be if I buy another yeah. midterm? And what's the price point going to be? And so mm-hmm. do I need to the just... that it's going to fit perfectly is going to, you know... Right. So maybe, do I need to not. just be patient, hang in there? So... um Anyways, that worked out well. We got somebody in there, you know. It's well, a, not to mention the weather is not helping you. I mean, I you're waiting for stuff to happen in the, you know, when you're going after insurance, when it freezes a lot, you know, you're going to benefit from that. Well, yep. it's 70 degrees the last few days. There's not a freeze in sight. And we're also, we don't have these big storms coming in. Probably right. no, you know, there's no floods, no roof leaks in anytime <laughs> soon. You know, it's not tornado season yet. Tavis is waiting for all these natural disasters to happen, and it's just beautiful outside. <laughs> and no one's ran yeah. this place. He's like, man, what's going to happen? You know, so, uh, no, I'm sure well, it's, it is very nerve-wracking. And, and the other, you know, so here, you know, the lead into that was just saying a lot of moving parts this week because I've got a tenant moving out that, you know, here's here's the benefit of this kind of business, right? I, I had somebody move into another property in Plano. Uh, it was our first one we did over, a little over two years ago and they moved in in May and they, you know, originally said, Hey, we'll be there 60 days. Well, and it, they ended up being there over seven months. So wow. their lease ends tomorrow. And you know, that fortunately they had actually were, were able to get out yesterday, but they, their lease ends technically tomorrow. And then I got an inquiry yesterday and they wanted nice. to move in tomorrow. So I'm like, Great. oh, crap. So it's a 60-day plus deal. So literally, I'm not going to have any day's gap on that one. We ended up um, yeah. inking it, booking it. So I've got to work on the lease and stuff this morning. That's great. Um, you know, and then, of course, it's like get on the phone with the cleaning crew, get on the phone with the painter, get on the phone mm-hmm. with everybody. Like, okay, we got yep. like 48 hours to make sure this is 100% ready for this new family to move in. And again, it's just, yeah, what's, it's just weird because there's not a lot of tracking metrics to know what's going on behind the scenes with these properties. Like literally, yeah. it I, I think I did this on purpose is I released the date last week a couple days early because I have it built into where it has a buffer. So like mm-hmm. typically somebody won't be able to book on the same day that there's cancellation. I give myself at least like 48 hour buffer so that I can clean it. Well, in this case, I knew they, they had told me they were moving out this past weekend. So mm-hmm. I think I released the date a few days early, right. And Airbnb. 
And mind you, they were booked off market, but you know, it's still, you block your calendar, right? So I, I released the dates a couple days early and sure enough, it's like, you know, almost the day on the money that it was available, you know, as soon as it showed up available on the system, I get an inquiry, you know? Well, maybe at some point you start doing that and you have some mechanism because, you know, maybe the people that are in there, their house is ready, but maybe they're just trying to take their time to get into the new place. And, but if you offer like, Hey, if, if I helped you pay for your, your move a little bit, could you go two or three days? Yeah. I've got someone else that wants to move in. You know, maybe you can offer something like that on yeah, the back end just, or something like that. It's weird because, you know, it, you know, for instance, the person that reached out to me, was not the insured. It was actually the placement company, you know? And so again, it's just a weird, it's just a weird dynamic. Like I said, it's hard to, it's hard to track the metric, the metrics. You know, we talk about this from traditional real estate, you know, the, the numbers that we talk about, right? Uh, 10 people on the door to get one offer. You could track yeah. it. It's trackable. It's like, what's the activity doing? You know, what's, you know, if you have a traditional lease, how many showings am I getting or how many inquires, how many applications am I getting before, you know, I'm going to book one, you know, it's just a little bit more, there's a little bit more metric to it. You know, yeah. with, with this, it's, it could be, you know, it could be a bust or it could be pull the trigger. I need to move in today. So yeah, it's just weird. Uh, but I, I yeah. just wanted to put that out there. Just, that was, yeah. you know, something that, uh, as we're doing it and talking about it, something people don't think about and don't, don't understand, you know? Well, and we, we might touch on it here. Uh, yeah. you know, my client, so I have paid for a few leads through a site called bigger pockets. It's an investment site. Uh, it's a great education site. I've mentioned it here before, but they have these preferred, uh, realtor. Basically you can look up a local realtor. If you're an investor and say, Hey, I want to work with someone, reach out. So I got these leads. I've done it one other time. It wasn't really fruitful, but I honestly wasn't great at the follow-up. And so I didn't really blame it on them, but you know, I've, I've told Tavis, you know, a lot of the people on there, they're, they're, they're a little bit new in the process and they, you know, they contact me with this brilliant idea that if I could find them an off market property, that's, you know, 60% below ARV and they're willing to do owner financing and no money down, they would be really be interested in doing this flip. I'm like, listen, if I had that deal, I would do it. You know? So a lot of the people I haven't really been able to help out much. Cause I'm like, I don't have this endless supply of off market properties. And if I did, I would take advantage of it. So I I went through this again. I got a client that contacted me. He's he's a local guy. He's looking to do a midterm rental, and he knew exactly what he wanted. He has a few. He has three short term rentals: two up in the, the Pigeon Forge and one in Broken Bow. He he knows the industry, and it's just been great, you know. And so we kind of hit the ground running, looking for some midterm. He wants to do the higher midterm, um, so he's looking for a property ARV in the eight hundred to a million. And, uh, initially we were doing some sort of turnkey, but it's interesting because, you know, we're looking for stuff that doesn't really have an HOA involved because then we don't have to deal with those restrictions. And, but we also want something in a decent part of town that is going to maybe have some appreciation. So we found this great house down in Richardson near Canyon Creek. It's, it's the Canyon Creek area. It's not the Richardson ISD, but so Tavis went by the other day with Aaron and I walked the property. I think Tavis, you're going to get to do some design work for him. And, you know, he very much appreciated your two cents because you've done the midterm deal. So it's turned out to be this really cool development of finding an investor that wants to do the midterm stuff, getting to go through the process with him on the realtor side, but also seeing Tavis's uh, thought process. So that's what I've been doing this week. And uh, we're meeting out there today. He's got an interior 
the designer that's coming in, he's worked, uh, he has a group that he's worked with before. So she's going to be helping him buy furniture and stuff here. So it's really cool. You know, what's interesting about the real estate business, you know, and I'll tell my home health people this, you know, I'll have a, an 80 year old lady at two in the clock in the afternoon say, am I your last one? And I'll say, no, I've got a few more, you know, and I always say, if I had a tattoo, it'd say busy pays the bills because it's true. <laughs> you know, they always like, you know, the goal is to not, not be busy, you know? And I mean, I'm not against retiring at some point, but like, I think I'll always be doing something. And what's interesting is I've been doing a lot of ho- uh, open houses for people. I've been contacting a lot of agents for these properties for Aaron. And it's, it's insane to me how many agents out there seem to just almost from day one, try to not do real estate. They immediately have people helping them, or I don't do that, or actually email this person. I don't deal with that. I don't work before eight. And I, maybe at some point you get big enough to wear that, but I mean, you do a lot of business and you still handle a ton of stuff on your own because I think you actually enjoy business and you enjoy real estate. And I've found that there's actually a lot of people in real estate that don't seem to actually enjoy real estate and that they're always <laughs> outsourcing and, oh, I don't, you know, it's just, it's just really weird to me. So I, uh, this week has been fun, but also kind of eye opening. Yeah. My, my fun, wife so. might disagree with you. She's like, Tavis is like the master delegator. <laughs> so, um, but you know, it, again, I, I think it goes back to as you grow in, in your business, um, you know, the eighty twenty rule, you know, makes a lot of sense, right? And and I think as entrepreneurs, we really struggle uh, with that sometimes, you know, because you really struggle to give away the eighty percent of your business that you're not as good at, you know. Yeah. And you know, I, I think it, as I've grown, I just kind of learned the things that I'm really good at and the things that. I just, I'm not really good at, or I don't have a lot of interest in, right? So I've been very fortunate ever since I merged my business into Keller Williams back in 2009, I was introduced to a transaction coordinator at that time. And I was like, oh, this is freaking amazing. So like getting into the KW systems and just, you know, tracking, um, uh, shoot, what do you call it? You know, basically your, you know, how you get paid, your, your, your commission, uh, whatever they call that. Right. Uh, your CDA and uh, commission disbursement yeah. agreement, all of that. I've never done one, you know, since I've been part <laughs> of KW, you know, yeah. um, now yeah, and I, I, I used to do all that independently. Like I did all that stuff. Right. And, and, you know, I, I'm staying in touch with the title company and I'm making sure and I'm crossing my T's and dotting my I's and, you know, so yeah, I used to do it. But once I got into this and I was introduced to that, I was like, oh, man, this is great. I'm, I'm happy to leverage this and have somebody that that's their specific job. That's what they do. Yeah. They don't get distracted. They don't miss no, timelines. I'm not talking about paperwork and, and I like the transaction yeah. coordinator. I'm talking about agents who either don't respond to text or phone calls or message. Like right. it's, it's weird. You know, yeah. it's like you, you have a house that's listed. I have questions about it or they'll text you. Hey, I'm busy. Just text me here. Yeah. And I'm like, look, you're selling a $700,000 house. <laughs> I have a client that's pretty serious. Right. I just want to have a five minute conversation about, you know, some details about the house. And I think people have just gotten so used to email and text. I have a client from the the bigger pockets. She's supposedly interested in multifamily. She's interested in a $30 million apartment, supposedly, in the uh, this off market deal in the Dallas area. And she wanted some information on it. So I wanted to hop on a five minute call. She didn't, she wanted to email. I'm busy. Just email me. I'm like, look, you're, you're in theory 
considering this huge purchase for on behalf of someone, but you don't have five. It's just weird. Yeah. Anyway, so I think people. I, I think the problem is people get to. You know, and, and I understand it to some degree because in some cases I get people that just want to talk to talk and get on the phone. And then it's like, you know, if you can tell me what you need, you know, maybe I can point you in the right direction to get that information. Yeah. I think that's where the disconnect is sometimes where, you know, it's like, you know, and, and I'm guilty of that as well sometimes just from a point of like, all right, wh- what am I doing right now? What do I have going on? in the middle of this and, and what's this conversation going to lead into and be about right and and at the end of the day we all know you know real, realtors and real estate professionals like to talk and hence what we what we do and and, yeah. and we talk right <laughs> so i think it just kind of comes down to sometimes just just being purposeful in that kind of communication or you know hey, i have a couple questions or i have some information you know i have some questions about the property because you know, I got that, like, I was fielding phone calls like that with my aunt and uncle's estate, you know, and everything I could think of, I put in that, you know, put yeah, in the MLS the so people could get the data. Right. Or somebody would reach out and go, hey, I've got questions about the foundation, you know, and I'd say refer to the engineer report. Again, Yeah. you, you kind of do that because, again, I don't want somebody to take my words and twist it or get my opinion when I've got a professional's opinion already there. Sure. But take the information to do with, with what you want. Now, I was happy if they got past that or somebody said, hey, I read the engineer report. Uh, we understand this. You know, I want to have a, con- a conversation with you. My client's interested, but, you know, I've got some specific questions. Okay, great. You yeah. know, let's talk. You know, so I think it's just sometimes just that level of communication. But I agree with you. There, there's definitely people out there. Uh, I, I think the most frustrating thing is like what you just experienced, right? You put together a bona fide offer. You're very, you're very thorough. You put together the entire thing. You've got a bona fide, you know, agent or a buyer that you're representing. I feel like the offer was fair, even though they felt like it was a low offer. I feel like it was very fair based on the condition of the property, based on the price point, based on everything. And, you know, that that deserves a response, you know. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you didn't get a response, I mean, we know he was traveling, but. Yeah. Come on, it took man. A while. You know, yeah, I mean, I if you're in business and you got a, you know, yeah, you, you've got a listing. I don't care how many listings you have. If you get an offer across your your email, you know, it, it, we all have smartphones these days. We can all check yeah. our our cell phones from anywhere in the world. There's rarely anywhere now that you don't have service, for the most part, unless you're up in the mountains somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with no yeah, signal. I think it was close to. I mean, it was it was probably. 15 hours easy from the time that like we went and saw it. I called, I texted, had some questions. We made an offer. I texted him. I called him to let him know we sent the offer. Obviously the email came through. Then the next day I followed up and finally I, I got the response received, you know, it was just like, all right, well, that's fine. <laughs> you know, and it's gone well since then, you know, I, yeah. he was travel, you know, but anyway, so let's, uh, let's just quick, really quickly go to our market update. The uh, the Dallas market is still at two months supply. Uh, what's interesting is our our MLS has this tax dashboard, and it has a little you know heat map. And for them, it says two months supply is right in the middle. We're right a level buyer and seller market, which uh, you would think it you know by the numbers we're still a little bit of a seller's market. Uh, but you know it is what it is. Two months supply. On the markets they're looking at, the overall Dallas County, Collin, Tarrant, 
and Denton is a 41-day average, which is up 20%. It's, it definitely is creeping up. And it, we're at 96% of the sales price per original, you know, versus the original price. So those are things that we've been tracking. Haven't moved. The Really, the biggest thing that's moved since we started this podcast is days on market. I mean, we were under 30 uh, pretty much across the board in all of our counties. And now, you know, our average is getting up close to 40. And I'm looking at a house for another guy that's on the higher end. And uh, we pulled it yesterday and it was 77 in this one little pocket. You know, it's a little bit of a higher end part of town and kind of a narrow segment, but 77 days uh, on the market. So <laughs> that's interesting. It's definitely slow. We're kind of gridlocked because the rates, I will say this though, as far as rates go, I don't think I told you this. Uh, they were, Aaron was able to buy down his rate by only by, for $900. He was able to lock in a rate last night for five, seven, five. Really? Pretty insane. Yeah. So really good rate. He's doing his VA loan, but Dave, uh, my mortgage guy, a whiz kid on the, uh, the ones and twos when it comes to figuring out all the uh, pieces to put together for the mortgage stuff, locked him in at five, seven, five for only nine hundred dollars wow. buy down. So pretty great. Wow. You know, that, so that's awesome. Hopefully that's rates are creeping down. Yeah. And government, government program, you know, with VA. Yeah. Take um, advantage of it. Obviously great credit scores and all of that, you know, and good assets yep. and yeah, but, but yeah. amazing. Yeah. To lock that in. So, yeah. you know, and, and that was a tricky thing too. We were talking about that a little bit, you know, um, it, you know, people have a stigma in the market when they get like a government or a a contract with like a government backed, uh, you know, lending situation, right? VA, FHA, people get that stigma. Um, and in this case, this is a, a very smart gentleman that's very established. You know, he's a he's a surgeon. He's he's in, in really good sorts uh, financially. Uh, but he wrote the offer with a VA loan because he can use it for hundred percent and then he can use cash for mm-hmm. renovations, et cetera. Yep. Why not use that leverage? Right. And he's going to live in the house. He's, he's going to occupy it himself. He's going to house hack it. So, you know, but you, you get the, the stigma that comes across with that. And, I, and I'm guilty too, over my years of it, you get different offers. Sometimes you're like, Oh, what is this? Uh, right. But I think it's important just to really back it up and document it and, you know, we talked about that a little bit um, just when you you submitted that and just having the conversation like, hey, just because he's using this loan, I mean, look at it. You know, there's a reason yeah. 5.75%. Come on, man. Wake up. Yeah. You know, would, this is this is why he's this is why he's doing this. He's using it yeah. as a tool here. Mm-hmm. So this is not a negative not as a thing. last resort. This yeah, is not, not a, a negative a, a negative stigma here. This is this is uh this is what he's doing. So for sure. Yeah. Anyways. So I was really excited for him on that. But yeah, the market's a little bit locked up. We keep waiting for it. You know, if the rates start dipping a little bit, I think the activity will pick up. I'm I'm doing my uh my hundred open house push for the year. I've got five uh under my pocket or under my belt. I'm going into number six and hopefully number seven this weekend. So I'm out there, you know, trying to meet people trying to, uh, you know, meet these buyers that are looking. I know at least a couple of my buyers were coming in from out of state. They had been renting and or the, the people I've been talking to over there. And then I know one of them was looking for a house for their mother that uh, was looking for a downsized house. So you're still not getting a lot of these lateral, just arbitrary movements. Hey, let's, let's go, you know, across town because we want a pool. It seems like there's still a lot of the life change type stuff is, is drawing people in the market. 
But I think uh, we'll start to see some movement if we can dip a little bit. So. All right, let's get into our news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? From Dallas, Texas, the Flash, apparently official. There's good news and bad news. This is a massive story. Who wouldn't publish it? We landed on the moon! Man, I've got certain information, all right? Certain things have come to light. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Uh, a little bit of news, and I don't know a lot about cost segregation and bonus depreciation, but it is in the news this week uh, that if you are an investor, the Congress is uh, has bipartisan support because most of your Congress folks have property. They they uh, they are wealthier individuals. They have, I'm sure, they have vested interest in the real estate market and investment properties. So it turns out when you are dealing with their money, they can agree on things. And so they are actually talking about voting on extending the bonus depreciation to 100%. And uh, I don't know all the details, uh, but basically what this comes down to is if you own investment properties, specifically short term and some, you know, some of your other rentals, it gets, you know, there's all sorts of details as far as the schedules on what you can depreciate. But the long story short is every item is a finite piece of material. You can depreciate it over a certain period of time. Sometimes it's 27 and a half years. Sometimes it's 39 years. The IRS has all these different rules. But if you do straight line depreciation, then you divide up, let's say, the cost of this carpet, and you can divide that over little bits of every year you can depreciate. Well, the IRS also says if you do they do it the right way, get a certain cost segregation study, certain, you know, you have to follow certain steps. You can front load that depreciation and offset your ordinary income. So if you have a really high year of ordinary income uh, of your normal job or you have a lot of uh, rents coming in or whatever, you can offset that with this depreciation. So I, I, you've never done a cost segregation study, have you, Tavis? No, I haven't. Um, and, you know, and, and you know, I have been challenged with this almost every year. We we talk about it and everything else. And um, you know, I think it's important to have somebody that obviously you you've got professionals that do just cost seg and don't do yeah. and don't do your taxes, and then you have you know your taxes, your CPA, etc. And so usually you kind of put those two people together. And I and I think. You know what's what's worked for me, or what's <clears throat> what's resonated with me. I think it's a great it's a great tool. It, it could be phenomenal. You hear huge things about it, right? And and tax offsets and and things like that. And I've considered it, but I've also had a conversation with you know my CPA, and based on some other things and the way that we're set up and structured, and our tax savings for the years, and you know Tabitha B and W would and you know us having a, a you know a couple different entities you know we're we do pretty well uh with our tax you know our, our tax analysis then um you know what we pay in the taxes at the end of the year so all that being said i think there's a fine line sometimes of of digging too deep sometimes and getting that microscope from the irs that really dives in mm. and you know gets into an audit and things like that sometimes and so we we haven't done it yet, uh, just because we haven't really needed it. Yeah. In the sense that I think if we do it, we actually end up, you know, where the IRS is going to pay us money, and I think that, you know, in, in some sense, kind of throws up some different red flags. So we just haven't had the necessity for it yet. Fortunately, I think as I keep buying properties every year, 
and adding to the portfolio that helps right and we yeah. also have the um you know the, the big uh, value add properties that we do so there's a lot of expense going out to those properties in the front end yeah. so all that helps offset with with our type of investments that we have personally so i haven't had the need for it but i think it's a, yeah. a very valuable need for a lot of people out there in their portfolio uh, obviously we have the commercial property it could benefit that you know there, there's different incidents where you know if you plan to sell the property you know within five years then you're going to have to essentially pay some of that back you know and things like that yeah, so that, capture there's all yep. different elements that you just have to really talk to a professional and sit down and have a conversation if it fits for you and, and it's not yeah, for everybody for sure. and i think that's where it's just been for us like i i, I understand it i think there's a lot of benefits but uh, it hasn't been a necessity for us yet and maybe yeah maybe it will be I, I i did learn that it was great to have that retroactive thing like let's say that this new uh, projection doesn't get uh you know let's say that they vote on it and it doesn't pass right it goes to the 80 percent versus 100 percent then anything i've bought within the time period that that was allowed we can go back and 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 uh yeah, and and do a study backwards, right? Or do it backwards because of the time frame that I bought the property in, right? So that's always, you can always uh, use it. it exactly. We could go back and we could adjust and we could do it if we needed to. So, anyways, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's in the news, so pay attention to that. And uh, I think it probably will pass because evidently it has a lot of support. And then they'll keep that hundred percent bonus depreciation. So when you hear that in the news, that's what they're talking about. Also, locally, we have talked about the Mavericks. And the fact that uh, Mark Cuban sold a large portion of the Mavericks to the Sands Corporation family, the Adelson family. And a few weeks back, it was found out that they, they purchased a very large tract of land over in Irving. And everyone thought, oh, yeah, that's where the Mavericks are going. Well, not so fast, my friend. Evidently, uh, this week, they have also purchased a good bit of property from Mark Cuban where the current practice facility is on and basically right around where the Mavericks are located now and it seems like turns out smart business people will do smart business things and it might be that they are basically giving themselves at least two options for when it comes time to negotiate with the cities for taxes for different uh, incentives that sort of thing they have two viable options where they can say well we can go here we can go here let's figure out which is going to be best for us and uh so I think we won't know that for a few years, um, but I, I do think that the lease is up somewhere in the 2030, 2031. So obviously they would want to um, start making moves before then. But, I, you know, for a little while it did look like, oh, the Mavs are going to be going to the Ir Irving area. Well, actually, it might stay right about where it is now. And Tavis can go to the uh, the Mavericks games as as normal, leave around five o'clock, get down there, have some wings and a beer, and then walk over to the Mavericks game, which is a lot of fun. Yep. So um, hopefully you won't be having to drive to Irving to go to your uh, Mavericks games anytime soon. <laughs> well, good deal. So on our, our topic, normally um, in this segment, we talk a little bit about real estate. We, you know, the top 24, you know, colors of blue for the season or stuff like that. You know, last week we talked about cabinets and uh, I think people actually really enjoyed that. We, we put a little video out about that and that got more uh, hits on our video about cabinets in it we've had in a while. So really? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Tavis had a lot to say about cabinets and it's a lot of fun because, I mean, it really is a way for you to refresh a look in the kitchen or bathrooms. 
and you can go everything from custom to redoing the front doors and there's a lot of hardware options. So if you have not listened to that yet, go back and listen because it was, it was a cool conversation, but you know, I talked about bigger pockets. I was listening to their economics podcast and on there, they actually brought up this idea that I don't remember how long ago it wasn't that long ago. And and they had done a study where it was over 50%. I think it was something like 58% of people considered it a necessity or a, a definite benefit to go to college. And now that number is down into the low thirties and it's just more and more uh, millennials and this, this Gen Z are changing their minds. Uh, you know, as millennials, as parents and Gen Z is the people going into college is, as, as the importance of college. And so Tavis has a son that's graduating this year. I have a son that's graduating this year. And I know, you know, Landon has expressed some interest in real estate. Luke actually just started his real estate agent courses online. He has, he came to us several months ago and said, I just don't really think college is for me. We talked about maybe doing, uh, getting an appraiser license, but he was not passionate about that. And so we've, we've basically just said, look, we're going to support you and what you want. It's not easy, but if you want to do real estate, as far as an agent goes, then let's go for it. So I just want to, you know, from a dad perspective, from a real estate perspective, what are your thoughts on college? You know, I don't even, I don't know your background as far as that goes. I don't know that you ever took classes or you did, or you have a, a master's in real estate from Harvard. I don't, I don't know that part of your story, <laughs> Tavis. So what are, what are your thoughts on uh, college and, and doing real estate? Uh, you know, I, I've, it's, it's tough. It, it's tough for me because I didn't go to college. So, you know, I, um, you know, I, I think, I think anything you do, right, is about the amount of effort you put into something and doing it well. So I think, you know, going to college, if you're going to go to college, I think, you know, it's about being dialed in, being excited to, you know, go through the steps. And, you know, a lot of people going to college don't know exactly what they're going to do or what their major is going to be. But, you know, they go in for the experience and then they build off of that. And, you know, they they go in with a passion to to do it well. And, and I think that there's, you know, a big group of people that go to college because that's what they've been told is the next thing to do. And they go do it and they don't enjoy it. And, you know, there's nobody holding you accountable at that point. You know, uh, your parents may have access to your grades or something, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not like it is in high school. And so I, you know, I worry about that with, you know, with, with Landon, um, because I mean, I, I think, you know, he's not passionate about the academic side. I think his main goal to go to college is to play basketball, you know, yeah. and the, the opportunities with that obviously are very, very far and in between. And, but he loves the sport and, you know, as far as dedication goes and, and driving mobility and, putting in the work when it comes to something he loves like basketball. He's been doing it since he was, you know, four or five years old. Yeah. If he could just do basketball all day, I think he would be great with that. But the reality (laughs) is that college is about the academic side of what you're going to learn and the degree you're going to get. And, you know, and basketball essentially is the byproduct. Yeah. Even if you were to make it to MBA, you should still get a, you know, a degree out of it. Right. Uh, If you went to college. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. It, it, I struggle with it. I, I think it's creeping up on us pretty quick now. You know, we're a couple of months out from graduation. Yep. And, um, you know, I think he, he you know, uh, just like anybody, I think growing up, you know, you don't necessarily 
have a passion to do what your parents are doing. Mm-hmm. Landon, when he was younger, used to want to go to job sites and things like that. Then it became more of a, oh, dad, why are we here? Why why do we <laughs> stop here? Why, why are we yeah. going to this house? You know, like, what are we doing? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I used to be like, even today, you know, like he'll be in the truck with me or something and we're stopping a job. He's like, what are we doing, dad? <laughs> and I'm like, I got to check yeah. on this job. You want to go in? You want to check it out? Yeah. No, I'm staying in the truck. Yeah. You know, so it's just it was, what you need to do. What uh, so Bob <laughs> Bob Sturm is a, a sports guy on the ticket, and uh, he tells a story. So he's he's really into sports, watches sports all the time, only talks about sports. And evidently, fairly early on, he got some pushback from home, and he said, "All right, let's go outside for a sec." So he walked outside, and they turned around and looked at the house. He said, "I want you to realize, sports bought this." Yeah, and you know, his life is sports, and so. You know, maybe, maybe at some point you can kind of, you know, say, Hey, I appreciate your, uh, your desires, but the real estate <laughs> bought this, you know, yeah, you enjoy yeah. your life. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, it's, um, it's interesting because I've worked backwards in my life because, you know, I went to college. My dad did not go to college. My mom did. So whenever I got accepted into Pepperdine out in California at the time, it was one of the best colleges, you know, top 50 college in the country. And, uh, I got some really good scholarships to go there. and you know, I, I did, I worked on that, but I worked in the nonprofit world. No one, no one ever told me, Hey, you're going to take on a bunch of debt. You know, maybe not a great idea to go work in the nonprofit world. <laughs> no one, no one tells you that, yeah. you know, they just, yeah. they take your money and you pay it off and they don't care. You know, now did I learn a lot of social skills there? Yes. I still have friends that I keep in contact with from college. So it's hard to divorce yourself from what did you learn? You know, what part of that, you know, molded me now. So it's really hard, but from an actual degree standpoint, I had a communications degree and I worked in the nonprofit world and it cost me a lot of money. And then after a while I said, well, I want to do better for myself and family. I'm going to go back to therapy school. Well, I went back and got a two year degree an associate's degree as a physical therapist assistant. So I worked backwards a little bit. So for the last 10 years, I worked as a physical therapist assistant on on an associate's degree and I made more money than I made in my nonprofit world, a lot more. Yeah. And so then three years ago, I said, well, I want to do better. So I went and got a a real estate agent license, which is like, you know, six months, a thousand bucks or whatever it is. You know, it's such a low barrier to entry and a lot of people get into it. And so now I'm doing that. And, and so for me, you know, and I see my, I have some other friends whose kids are going, trying to get into A&M. I mean, there's 60,000, 70,000 people at A&M. If you get accepted, they actually will only accept you in certain degrees and you have to stay within that. So even if you go to A&M, it's not like the old days where you can say, well, I don't love this. I'm going to change. No, they have room in that one school for you. Mm-hmm. They don't have room in this other school. So if, if you change, you can't really change. So to me, it's just the value proposition of college from an actual skill set perspective is not there unless you are doing medical or engineering or architecture. There's certain things that you have to do. And I think it law, you know, being a lawyer, there's certain things that are great, but from an, a real estate standpoint, you know, the more I'm in the business to me, it's just about effort. You mm-hmm. know, it's about learning how to learn. That's a huge thing. Learn how to learn, identify the things you're not good at, figure out ways to go figure those out, whether it's YouTube or podcast or being around people that know more or paying for a class or a mentorship or a coach or whatever, learning how to learn is such a huge, that skill set will serve you for the rest of your life. And then it's just effort, you know, and it's just 
putting in the time and trying. And I think if you're willing to do that, I don't necessarily think you need the degree. And so, you know, I, I'm super supportive of Luke. And, you know, I'm sure Landon could, once he's passionate about basketball, whether it's a degree or not, if if he puts in the work, he can be successful being a coach, private teacher, yeah. AEU coach or whatever, you know. So when I think that's the yeah, I think that's the key, right? It is taking if he if he takes that mindset, you know, if he takes that effort in that mindset and, and anything he he chooses to do going forward and and uses the same skill set that you know he's built in the basketball sector and converts that into something else that he's enjoying doing you know he's 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 obviously going to succeed right um because he's got the ability uh to put forth his mind into something that understands hard work and understands dedication and understands uh you know discipline right and I think that is a huge thing. We talked about that a little bit in the investor club last week. One of the biggest things <laughs> when you get dedicated in this business and then, you know, now we're talking wealth building, it's discipline. It's it's finding that discipline within yourself to make yeah. changes in the right direction uh, to get yeah. you where you want to go. And I think that's the ultimate, the ultimate solution. Right. And, and we've seen that. I mean, we've seen it you know, with college students that start off rough and then, you know, snap into it, or, you know, maybe they don't start their college career until their late twenties, maybe. Um, and you know, once you get it, once you get passionate about it, like, look, me in grade school, I did what I had to do to, to get by, you know, for me, graduating high school was kind of just like, I have to do this, right? Like I, I, this is, I have no other choice. I've got to graduate. And then what, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, it was almost like, the license of freedom, like <laughs> yeah. the way I grew up on the third out of eight, it was a lot of responsibility, you know, it, it, it was a lot right growing up and, and it wasn't usually, you know, my choice and what I got to do with my free time, you know, in that big of a family. And so for me, the idea of graduating and being out on my own was, was freedom. And so it was just like, give me my diploma. I don't care what yeah. it is. I don't That's know good. about college. It was like, you know, I, I used to say, I'll go to college if I get an art scholarship. Yeah, I didn't know what that meant. I was passionate about art, but I didn't know how to convert it. I didn't know. I, I never filled out anything, right? Like, it was just yeah. like, well, you know, we talk about it. And then, of course, you got community college as an option. And, you know, and everybody was in my ear all the time. Like, hey, you know, are you going to go to school? Are you going to go to college? What are you going to do? And I, I jumped out and I started pulling cable for a company out of Austin. And this was the dot-com boom and I'm pulling cat five cable, you know, but I was passionate about working. I always had no mm -hmm. issue, especially when it came to like, uh, effort of labor, like, and yeah. I was willing to hard, learn hard. something new and go do it. And so yeah. that was where I started, you know, eight bucks an hour and, and did that. And then I eventually worked myself up into, you know, telecom and was able to get hired by, you know, a huge corporation, you know, MCI WorldCom at the time. And then, you know, that went through its craziness. And, um, but then, you know, at 24, I, I was already looking for a career change. I'm like, Hey, I fell into this by default. I just feel like, where am I going to go from here? I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm passionate about what I'm doing in my job, but it's where, where's the future, you know, like it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't my, I wasn't passionate about what I was doing. It was just, yeah. you know, it was a job, it was a career, it was how I was making money. And I, yeah, of course I was going to go do it with full effort, but I was like, where do I go from here? How do I, how do I go up? And, um, yeah. management was like the next step, you know, but yeah. And anyways, well, career I think change the difference too is, you know, 
you you taught yourself that you can sh- you can shift gears and make it work. You know, I, that that internal knowledge that knows if something happens, I can figure it out. That is the life skill that you can't teach anywhere. And sometimes that's shifting from, you know, my nonprofit work to this, you know, this to this, you know, therapy to this. But that shift and then that, you know, figure like, OK, I can pay my bills. I can figure this out that it that'll make you feel 10 feet tall. Yeah. You know, when you feel like you're beholden to whatever you're in because you don't really know how to do it. Otherwise, that's tough. And I think, you know, college in a lot of ways teaches you how to be a worker bee. And that's fine. But if even outside of college, if you wanted to become an entrepreneur or own your own company, they don't teach a lot of that stuff. A lot of that stuff is stuff you learn on the job. So if you just fast forward and you, you're you okay with being a worker bee by painting fences or pulling Cat 5 or you know, doing demo work or whatever Luke's going to do to kind of make money, money until yep. he can figure out the entrepreneur grind and all that stuff, then, the, you know, everyone has their own path. I think the other big thing, I know we're running out of time here, but the, long, yeah. uh, the, the, the other big thing to me that I think is what, what I'm hearing from your story and just knowing from my own story. Uh, and I've had this conversation with, you know, my older son, I've got a son who's almost 30, and then, of course, Landon, who's 18, who's about to graduate, you know, and, and I think the tough thing in society and the, the world we live in where, you know, you, you've got these people that become influencers and make stupid money for doing very little effort, you know, and they've just blown up success overnight, you know. And uh, back then, I think for us, the people that did that were, you know, I mean, you would see musicians and, and stuff like that, you know, yeah. and, and you have a musical ability, you know, the amount of work that actually goes into that behind the scenes. But I think what happens is, you know, people aren't willing to start over sometimes. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that was, that's the piece that I'm hearing from your story and kind of just even myself is like, sometimes you got to be willing to just, you know, cut your losses, you know, take a pay mm-hmm. cut, you know, reinvent yourself and start over and do whatever it takes to go be in that circle that you want to be in. Once you kind of see mm-hmm. something that you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to change gears. I want to get into real estate or I want to learn how to flip a house or I want to do this. It's like, what am I willing to do to make the connectors? And that's kind of like you talked about it in the past, just you being persistent about, you know, connecting with me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of just willing to do whatever it took to, you know, to have conversations and have something a little bit more in depth. And you were already doing this before, you know, you and I uh, have built a, a, a deeper relationship, but just, you know, taking that step and be willing to, yeah. to humble yourself in a scenario to say, I'm willing to take a step back, put all my ego aside and just learn and grow and absorb and, and take action. You know, I think that's, yeah. that's the key. So, you know, I, I, I those are tough things to teach right those are tough things that, that you know sometimes are, it just takes life to, and it's hard to teach our kids that you know it really yeah, is it because it takes time you know our kids we want our kids to have a good life we want our kids to not you know struggle day to day we want our kids to not have to experience some of the turmoil and the hardships that we had growing up and so we make their lives fairly easy but then when it comes to like trying to teach them a lesson that's it's tough sometimes for them to really yeah absorb it and get it. And then, you know, being patient with their ability to to learn these lessons. And when they're ready to make these choices, yeah. excuse me, is another big <laughs> yeah. Yeah, lesson. But, you know, just it's as, just the nature of things, as parents, you know? it's right? Just, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree, but it's like when you realize that if you want, if you want, it's like saying, I want a lasagna to be awesome, but I want to kind of forego the whole cooking part. No, it takes heat. It takes effort. It takes, that is a part of the process. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's like you, you cannot forego that despite you want to, if you, no matter what you hope that you can't get around it. And so I think that that, that for me and you, I think the hardest part is going to be okay with the struggle. You letting them kind of get out there and fail a little bit. And, you know, I, I mean, we can definitely talk about this more because, you know, I, I'm passionate about it. it we're, we're both on the forefront of this as, as they're kind of shifting gears and Luke's probably going to leave. Well, he is going to leave for the summer and then come back and, um, you know, work with me or, you know, we may team him up with another someone over at Kelly Williams just to get some different experience or something. So anyway, it's 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 a lot of fun to think about. It's uh, it's emotional. I'm a softy. I've cried multiple times, uh, you know, thinking about all this. And so anyway, uh, I'm glad to hear your perspective, too. So if you have not yet, please share this podcast with a friend. We we are getting a little momentum on the number of people that are listening. And it's exciting to see that people are kind of sticking with us and sharing it here and there. So you know, text it to a friend, let them know about us. Uh, we're going to stick around. We've had a couple interviews kind of fall through. We had one last week that didn't record right. We couldn't salvage it. We had another one lined up for this morning in the technology uh, on their end, the technology just didn't line up. So we're going to figure it out, but we're going to keep coming to you. You can find me, the Dallas real estate guy on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Ashton Hines, uh, Tavis Westbrook, Ta- Travis without the R, Tavis Westbrook designs. He's on Instagram, Facebook, can help you out in a lot of different ways. Tavis has been walking a lot of properties. We're actually going to walk a property today in Canyon Creek for a realtor. Tavis has paid over a million dollars in realtor commissions since he has started working with realtors uh, to buy properties. And so he's a real deal as, as far as that goes. And we are definitely looking for properties to flip. So if you've got one that's not great for the MLS, you just need to get rid of it quick and you still want to get paid and you're a realtor, please give us a call. Um, Until then, until the next time, our next interview, we will come to you. It's been great. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have a great day.